0: I had some big gaps in my education. The first time I actually set foot in a formal classroom setting is when I stepped into the Tory Turtle at the University of Alberta, and I was really struggling in the first year. I was going to get, I was going to flunk out, and I was also working night shift at a lumber mill around that point in time. And I said to myself, I said, I got to get a job that doesn't involve me working all night, so I can get some, you know, homework done here. And it just so happened that Shandos had an ad in the Engineering Student Society. I had a phone call from a lady named Michelle Mellick. I went into the office. That was the first time I had ever set foot in an office building. But Shandos saw something in me. I don't know what it was. I didn't have, I certainly didn't have the best grades and they gave me the job.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Nailed It, a podcast powered by Parker Huggett. A big warm introduction to Tim Coldwell from Shandos. He is the president of a Canadian employee-owned general contractor Tim's professional blueprint is quite impressive, progressing through the ranks from PCPM to 22 years later with the firm being the president of this employee-owned general contractor. He is a proud Mohawk entrepreneur and also achieved Canada's top 40 under 40. Welcome, Tim. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, super excited. It's our 10th episode and, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with Shandos Construction for the last 18 years and you guys have experienced tremendous growth and turned a lot of heads as someone who speaks to the industry across Canada We're really excited to have you here. Outside of my warm, high-level introduction, please share with us who you are, your position, tenure in the industry, and a bit about Shandos.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Tim Coldwell. I'm the president of Shandos Construction. Shandos is a purpose-driven national technical builder that's leading change in the Canadian construction industry. I serve as the president of Shandos. Now, the cool thing about our organization is that we're 100% employee-owned a single class of voting shares, um, and less than 30% of the equity of the company is concentrated with executives. So I run around with the president's title, but I really work for the people that are doing the work. Um, And I think that's one of the defining features of this organization. Amazing.
1: And I I also think uh, your story's pretty interesting, if you wouldn't mind
0: sharing that. Sure. Yeah, where where to start with that? So, you know, I, without getting too far into the details, so I grew up in what would be loosely described as a very conservative kind of religious community. And, at you know, 15, 16 years old, I said to myself, I said, this is just not right, and I got to follow my own path here. And, and so I was out, and I literally was going to be on the street in a cardboard box if I didn't figure it out. At that time, I learned about my Mohawk ancestry. So I'm a member of the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinte. I did not grow up in the community, so I'm not speaking from a place of kind of lived indigenous experience. But I did learn that the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinte would support uh, education for me if I had decent grades in high school. So I did high school through distance learning. I got the grades that we were looking for and I got into the University of Alberta on a full scholarship from the Mohawks to the Bay of Quinte. And I had some big gaps in my education. I was homeschooled. The first time I actually set foot in a formal classroom setting is when I stepped into the Tory Turtle at the University of Alberta. Well, that was an experience to say the least. <laughs> and so, so I had some big gaps. And I was really struggling in the first year. I was gonna get, I was going to flunk out. And I was also working night shift at a lumber mill around that point in time. And I said to myself, I said, I got to get a job. That doesn't involve me working all night, so I can get some, you know, homework done here. And it just so happened that Shandos had an ad in the Engineering Student Society Daytimer Journal thing that they give you on orientation day. So I'm flipping through, and I just fired over a resume. And a couple days later. I had a phone call from a lady named Michelle Mellick. I went into the office. That was the first time I had ever set foot in an office building. And I had an awkward interview, to say the least. <laughs> but Shandas saw something in me. I don't know what it was. I, didn't have, I certainly didn't have the best grades, I did have some experience, you know, building churches and houses and barns and those sorts of things. And they gave me the job. And, you know, Shandos really became a second family for me. And that strong kind of emotional connection of the company has driven me over the years. And there's kind of a cool bow to connect the story here. And so 24 years later, we're actually building a project in Tyendinaga, Mohawk Territory with four of the Mohawks, of the Bay of Quinte. Uh, pardon me, not for the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinte, on uh, land with the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinte, my home community, but it's for the First Nations Technical Institute. So I think it's really cool to be able to build a building for the folks that changed my life by giving me a scholarship. I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for that. And I certainly wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for Shandos taking a chance on me. That's amazing.
1: That gives me goosebumps. I love the full circle and and the memory of the impact that a company made to you, right? And for you. And, you know, I think there's a lot of businesses out there and employees that forget about the opportunities that are given. And and it's easy to lose sight of because we get caught up in the hamster wheel. But I always loved how purpose driven you are. And that's probably why you've been so successful is because you have a passion for what can be versus
0: the status quo. Yeah. You know, I think uh, there's a couple of sayings that I love. Uh, you know, the construction business is a tough business. Like there are skinny margins. There's all sorts of nonsense that goes on in the yeah. business. And people sometimes say to me, like, why are you so happy? Like, and so, well, there's a few things. The Mindset's a big part of it. One of the sayings that I love is, uh, he who has a why can endure any how. Mm. And so, you know, it's this idea of a bigger picture. Like, why are we working so hard in this industry? Why am I doing that personally? Why is that expected in the construction industry in many instances? Like, what does that all ladder up to? And so I've always had a very clear picture for the kind of leader I want to be in my life. And then as I've taken on more leadership opportunities with Shandos, I've had a very clear picture for the kind of organization that we're building. And so, yes, there's challenges, but when I get out of bed every day and put my feet on the floor, I see forward movement towards the vision that I have for myself, as well as the vision for Shandos as an organization. And that gives me joy. So I think that idea of having a vision for where you want to go is a simple concept, but very few people actually understand that and have a clear vision for themselves. Yeah. Clarity is
1: is super important to be successful. So kind of getting into the theme of, of the show nailed it. Do you have an experience share where you've really had a success, whether that's through a hire, a personal situation that's led to a professional positive outcome outside of what you've shared in your great story? Um, that's really led to an, you know, an experience share that's really led to a success.
0: Yeah, let me just think about this for a second. I I would say uh, many folks in Canada will know our organization um, as leaders in this delivery method called Integrated Project Delivery. Mm -hmm. And so we're proud of that. And I think we've done some good work there. You know, the ultimate measure for me is to see our competitors and others in the industry also embracing it. It's one thing to do it on your own. It's another thing for the whole industry to do it. Now, having said that, It's not like we invented it. Part of my story is I've never really worked anywhere other than Shandos. So like, what do I know about building a billion dollar construction company? Uh, One of the things that I started to cultivate about 10, 15 years into my career, Shandos, was going and hanging out with contractors that were much larger than us Mm -hmm. and who weren't competing with us. And, uh, for a while, for about seven years, I was running our Costco wholesale national account. We built a lot of those projects across the country. And so I got connected to American general contractors and they're not competing with us. And, you know, long winding story, got connected to the guys at DPR construction, um, in the Bay area. And, you know, very, Cool organization, uh, a young organization. They were founded in uh, 1990. I think they're doing 10 billion with 10,000 employees wow. these days. So you want to talk about something that's different than the typical stodgy contractor that's been around for like a hundred years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so I heard about the guys at DPR, and I heard about this IPD thing that was going on. And I'm a bit of a relentless character, so I picked up the phone and I called Doug Woods, a DPR, who's the CEO. He's passed away now, and I said, "Hey, Doug." It's Tim from Shandos calling from Alberta. (laughs) He's like, who? And he's like, kind of like a surfer dude from California, right? I'm like, it's Tim. I'm like, you know, I'm a contractor from Alberta. Where's that? I'm like, Doug, it's in Canada. Anyways, we had this conversation and I said, I'd love to bring a group of folks down and I'd love to talk to you about culture, employee ownership, and this integrated project delivery stuff that I hear you guys are doing. Hmm. And so Tom Rettle, our board chair, and I went down there. And uh, we had a great conversation with those guys and gals at DPR. Uh, They completely kind of welcomed us into their circle. They introduced us to all sorts of folks in the U.S. And we sucked up that knowledge and information and that mentorship that they offered us. And we brought that into our business. And I think if it weren't for that experience, Mm -hmm. I don't know where we would be as an organization these days. Much of our expansion from a regional contractor to a national contractor has been fueled by our leadership on integrated project delivery. Mm -hmm. And I think it's made that geographic expansion much easier for us. And we've been very vocal about this in terms of thanking our friends at DPR for, you know, putting their arm around our shoulder and mentoring us as an organization. Mm -hmm. They're just great folks.
1: That's amazing that you had the foresight to look into a project or economic time machine, essentially, because... The maturization of the US is, you know, they're more mature than us as a, an industry for sure. And, and uh, you know, what you've done in, in Vancouver or sorry, the greater Vancouver area and the greater Toronto area in such a short period of time in comparison to those that have come before you uh, outside looking and has been
0: unheard of. Yeah, I, I can share a little bit on that. So, um, yeah, you know, just on the, on, the, on the time machine aspect of it, 100%. Uh, my theory of innovation in the construction industry – now, this is Tim Coldwell's theory, so I don't yeah, know yeah. how far you want to take it. But, I'm excited. <laughs> um, um, my theory is, is the Bay Area of San Francisco is about 10 years in front of the construction industry in Canada. And when I say 10 years in front, it's generally Alberta and Ontario. And, mm-hmm. and if it's sustainability, it's British Columbia – but those provinces, about 10 years in front, and frankly, I have a theory that uh, Western Europe is about 10 years in front of the Bay Area of San Francisco. Now, I think folks in the Bay Area would be upset about me saying this, but that's okay. Um, that's my theory of innovation uh, in the construction industry. But but yeah, just back to, let's call it the pivot uh, out of Alberta. You know, Shandos was founded in 1980. Um, in Edmonton, we're named for Lake Shandos so it's not of Peterborough, Ontario. There's yeah. a whole other story there for maybe a different day. And you know, we were in Alberta, and we just one day we said, you know what, we have too many eggs in the Alberta basket. At it was like three or four hundred million of revenue at the time. That's a lot of lot of activity just in one economic region, and uh, we should use this integrated project delivery stuff that we're doing as a way to to diversify. And so that turned into us going. Uh, to British Columbia and Ontario at the same time. We actually mm-hmm. didn't intend to go in both directions at once. The original plan was to go to uh, Vancouver first and then a couple of years later go to Ontario. But demand for integrated project delivery was off the charts and there was an opportunity there. So that's what we did. Now, I haven't wa- talked widely about why we did it, but we saw a softening in the Alberta economy, particularly As a result of the energy sector, Shandos as an organization has never really done projects uh, that rely on the energy sector. So no pipelines, um, you know, no heavy industrial. The closest that we would get to that would be like a pipeline control center or something like that. But we saw that softening. And we also saw good margins uh, in Ontario and uh, Vancouver. And we said, well, we don't want to preside over laying off a significant portion of Shandos's uh, staff. We're an opportunity organization. And so let's expand and let's provide opportunity to the unit holders of this company. And so that was the idea. And one of the things that we're most proud of is, um, we went from 95% of our backlog and our revenue and our margin coming out of Alberta. And five years later, 60% of backlog revenue and margin was from outside of Alberta. And over a seven, six or seven year period, we averaged 15% year on year growth and doubled the enterprise value of the organization uh, Mm -hmm. through that whole adventure. So really proud of that. I would also say that as we grew and as we did that there was fundamentally this idea of let's build out this national platform that we can then scale further on growing at 15% a year is stressful for an organization and so that's been a bit of a wild ride but now at a base of call it 700 million in change we're actually pulling back our growth objectives into the 5 to 8% organic growth range per year and we think that that's sort of a long term average for growth is where we want to be as an organization. And it's funny that that kind of a base number of 700 million and change, like that adds up real quick. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the sweet spot for the organization going forward. Yeah. And the other, the other
1: piece I'd love to highlight is when you went into those different markets, whether it was Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver, you you also were able to attract franchise players in those markets because of how you were doing business and, and are now delivering through the joint venture model and collaborative model in uh, Chalk River, one of the largest IPD projects in Canada. You know, that's got to be a, a huge win coming into a, a tight market like Ottawa and the nation's capital.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, the um, once again, that connects back to our whole IPD adventure. Shandos has had no experience with nuclear projects prior to that, but we were seen as, and I guess are seen, as the leaders in integrated project delivery. Mm -hmm. And so that client wanted to use that delivery method for a whole host of reasons. And we teamed up with our friends at Bird Construction to do a joint venture. Uh, Gilles Royer over there is the consummate professional. I do a handshake deal with him any day. And yeah, it's been a great project. You know, we're through validation. We're on site. Uh, foundations are poured. The project's going well. And it is the largest IPD project in Canada.
1: That's incredible.
0: And and so what
1: do you view as, you know, the biggest, like, what do you think the general contracting and development industry in Canada does really well?
0: I, I think... You know, from I think from something that's done really well. That's a tougher question, man. Yeah, let me think of something positive here for a second. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I I think that the construction development industry does a really good job of what I would call corporate social responsibility, meaning stroke a check to the children's hospital, to the local charity, to the United Way and support community causes through financial gifts. I think that is something that the real estate and construction industry does really well at. I also think that there's a whole new frontier where developers and contractors and designers, in addition to doing what we've always done by signing big checks, we can also have a positive impact on Canadian society through the actual business model that our organizations utilize. And so I think that's the frontier. That's what makes me really excited. There's huge opportunity there. And and that, you know,
1: Shandos being a B Corp, you guys are fully living and breathing that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, just to unpack a few pieces of that. So l- let me just unpack B Corp for a minute. So back in twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, uh like ninety percent of the people walking this earth had no idea what a B Corp was. Yeah. And so I logged onto their website. They had a, like an online tool that you could go through and kind of give yourself an assessment. And I'm like, holy crap. Like we actually qualify as a B Corp without actually changing anything that we actually do. And so we sent in the paperwork. And we became B Corp certified in 2015. We actually didn't tell our customers and we didn't have a big fanfare thing with our staff. That was more of an authenticity thing for us. And the beauty of that whole rating system is that a third party will look at what you're doing and basically say, yeah, you know what? They're not making it up. They're actually doing what they said they're going to do. And so I think that's cool. Now, in terms of the kind of impact that contractors can have, I think that we are uniquely positioned as contractors to have a huge impact in Canadian society. So, a few things, 30 30 to 40% of the GHG footprint in this country comes from the built environment. Mm. So, that's a great impact that we can have. 30% of the garbage in Canadian landfills comes from construction sites. That's a great impact that we can have. And... Um, I think the construction industry is the last escalator to the middle class, or one of the last great escalators to the middle class. So, we need hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of skilled workers in this country. You know, I I think lots of the listeners will know RBC has suggested that 700,000 of the 1.5 million workers in the Canadian construction industry are going to retire by 2028. That's like in five years, right? And then demand for construction activities is expected to double. RBC said two trillion to do the clean energy transition. CMHC said a trillion dollars to fix housing affordability, and it's roughly a trillion dollars more on top of that to address the infrastructure deficit and to not get into kind of a infrastructure deficit in the future. So call it rough numbers four trillion with a T incremental demand for construction services between now and 2050 you know you can model that out but it suggests that the workforce in Canada needs to double if not triple from a construction standpoint and then related to all of that the productivity in the construction industry has been decreasing at about two percent a year on average since the 70s and it still continues to do that so so we as an industry have this labor crisis and this productivity crisis that we need to address. And if we can't figure that out, there's not going to be affordable housing in this country. Mm. And so I think there's going to be a lot more attention placed on the construction industry. And I think there's a huge opportunity for us to lead. You know, just as an example, back to kind of the impact stuff that I that I mentioned, since the early 2000s, Shandos has diverted over 80% of our entire enterprise waste stream. Costs us a little bit, like tiny dollars, but we win a bunch of work because of our reputation for doing that. And what if every major contractor did construction waste diversion and upcycling? What impact would that have in Canada? The the big frontier on the climate adventure is embodied carbon for contractors. So there's a bunch of contractors who run around and pat themselves on the back because they're building a net zero building. Like who cares? That's the owner's decision to build a net zero building. Mm -hmm. But reducing the embodied carbon of that building that you're building by say 30 or 40% is something that contractors can control and you can do that without changing the design. It's just all about supply chain and finding better, lower carbon sources for these materials. So we're very interested in that. And then back to the idea of of impact, uh, I've been a huge proponent of social procurement. So my story is really a story of social procurement. I'm a walking example of what happens when you give somebody a chance. And so what happens when general contractors with our big supply chains hire at-risk youth and put them to work with apprenticeships? What happens when we hire small and medium subcontractors that are owned by new Canadians or refugees and give them a painting contract or, or a T-bar ceiling contract? What happens to Canadian society when we do that? What happens when we make the work sites and the job sites more welcoming for women, for LBGTQ folks? I think all of those things are things that contractors can make a meaningful impact on, right? That's exciting
1: and, and certainly gives me a hope for a brighter future, knowing that you guys are thinking that way. Mm-hmm. And so last question I always like to get into and in, in your opinion, why should youth strongly consider career construction development industry?
0: Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So, <laughs> I think that this industry is gonna be one of the coolest, most transformative industries that's going on out there for for a while so a few things so i mentioned all the opportunities for impact a few moments ago the income opportunities right now are amazing right so carpenters will make about fifty dollars an hour straight time downtown toronto you know in that labor board region and that's roughly double what the average university degree that's roughly double what the average person with an undergraduate degree earns so Mm. you know earn twice as much money with like no student debt, in an industry that is deeply impactful. The really exciting thing about Canada is I also think Canada's in this kind of nation-building stage. I've done a bit of work with Senator Omavar on social procurement, among other things. And she's one of the original thought leaders around the Century Initiative, which is this – initiative in Canada that has done a demographic analysis that suggests that this country needs a population of 100 million people by the year 2100 and if we can't get to that kind of a population there's not enough people with jobs and paying taxes to pay for an aging population Japan has this challenge right now M- many other countries do as well but think about that there's 40 million people in this country and we're talking about you know double doubling the size of the built environment within the next 80 years. Just that's huge, huge opportunity. And I think uh, that's th- not the thing that's really interesting that Senator Omovar and I chatted about is what if that population growth, which is the number one predictor of construction activity, by the way, which is why I'm talking about it. What if that population growth didn't just happen in Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. What if we filled in the blank parts of the map? And if we had policy around doing that, you know, you drive around in the US and you can't drive more than an hour before you hit a city of a million people, particularly on the Eastern seaboard. What if Thunder Bay was a city of a million people? Regina and Saskatoon, a million people, right? Sudbury. What if those sorts of cities started to look like that? I think we're going to see those sorts of things in my career edited the career of folks that are just joining the industry today. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, taking
1: the time to spend with us on this episode, Tim. And yeah, we look forward to hearing the listeners review. Cool. Thanks for having me.